0: You're listening to KXOB, Ocean Beach, where Constancy's the spice of life.
1: Welcome to Beach Cop Detectives, a terrier's podcast. Episode 6, Ring-A-Ding-Ding. I'm Randy Lander from the TV Dudes. With me here today is Dave Lamplew, artist and noir aficionado. Hello, Randy. So I ask everybody the question, when we first start these things off, how did you come to Terriers? Did you watch it when it was the first run? I did. I watched it kind of second run
0: in that weird universe of streaming television where you're not sure if the ratings are going to catch up. You're watching it and you're, you're loving this show, but unfortunately you didn't pay for anything. You're not Nielsen, and so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. And I remember very much being in that place with Terriers, being actually worried for the first time that me not having actual television was going to have a show canceled.
1: I I think you're okay. I don't think it was just you. (laughs) So we're talking about episode six, Ring-a-Ding-Ding, and this one's directed by Billy Gerhart. Interesting enough. Seems like a lot of the people who directed on Terriers did like one episode. And this guy, he came up in the camera department on The Shield. He directed one episode of Terriers. He directed one episode of The Shield. They did four episodes of Torchwood Miracle Day, and then since then he's gone on to do ten episodes of Sons of Anarchy, three episodes of Rectify, six episodes of Walking Dead, yeah. a whole lot of TV, and all those shows. I mean, sp- specifically Rectify and Walking Dead are very sort of visually striking shows. Yeah. So this is an episode that I think has a really nice bit of visual flair
0: too. Yeah, it does. It's it's kind of a standalone episode. And really one of the first ones, it's stuck right in between the Lindis plot and the resolution of the Lindis plot when they kind of break the ceiling up into the bigger bad guys that they're going to go after. Terriers is very much, it's beach cops, uh, of course, but it, it has its eye to things like Chinatown with a very, very complex interlocking plot about real estate fraud. And this is this nice little place right in the middle. Where they kind of wrap up a lot of the emotional stuff. Not only Britt and Hank, who have a great buddy relationship, you know, but Britt and his girlfriend, Katie. They kind of – they have a big crux in their relationship, Hank and Gretchen, his wife. This is basically the absolute end
1: for them. Yeah, And one of the other things I think you talked about, Chinatown, and sort of the notion of something bigger than them. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, that Terriers does a lot of that is also kind of a noir trope, especially of late, is sort of the 1%, the, the poor versus the rich. Yeah. And that's very much hit upon here mm-hmm. with – they go to these these rich couple – that mags is trying to get a job from yeah and she really she would love to have that work and they go to do this job for these rich couple and it takes them into this world of all sort of the people that have nots yeah who've gotten mixed up in the whole thing
0: yeah it's very much that thing where economics does matter in the world of terriers it, it's set in a beach community there were there's obviously some tourism but it's kind of seedy it's yeah. a seedy place where the rich have really really gotten ahead and the poor are doing things like Hank and Britt are, you know, half out of alcoholism, starting your small business, you know, to just keep living where you want to live. There's a lot of bigger issues, bigger political issues
1: in Terriers
0: without it being preachy.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, this episode is uh, written by Angela Kang, who's written for Walking Dead, among n- numerous other things. And then, of course, Ted Griffin, Leslie Hedlund, and John Worley, staff writers, are all credited as well. Yeah. So let's talk about the show as it opens. There's a really great montage that opens in this yeah, episode. there is. And I love that this, again, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but Terriers is a show that was sort of prior to the serialization craze that has gone on. Mm-hmm. So while there's a lot of serialization in it, There's also an acknowledgement that, hey, anybody could be coming in on any episode. Yeah. So that opening moments, we see them panning over from a local news that's talking about Lindis. Yeah. We see them panning over to the bearer bonds being put away in Hank's closet. So Mm -hmm. if you haven't been watching, you immediately get, oh, something happened to this dude, and this guy has some money he's not supposed to have. And then we get that great character introduction with the music, that happy feeling by Burt Yeah. that's with such a great contrast of. Britt's in the shower watching Katie get dressed, and then Katie in the shower watching Britt get dressed, and they keep sort of throwing away the wedding preparations so that they can go at each other. Yeah. Because they're so young and so in love. While at the same time, Hank is sort of sad, dressing alone, and his sister's there helping him out, but it's very much sort of the sad guy saying goodbye to his married life. Whereas these two are on the beginning of their upswing to what they think might be their married life.
0: Yeah, Noel Murray, who wrote about this show pretty extensively for AV Club, said that, this plot represented a 360 turn of events. And I I kind of looked at it like, like an overall kind of a ring structure that they yeah. had in there. I mean, the, the episode is, of course, called Ring-a-Ding-Ding, which is from a 1961 Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. song and then an album. But it has very much a circular plot. And I saw the opening montage as Britt and... Hank being on different places of this relationship ring, if yeah, you will. Sure. different different places from marriage to divorce to new marriage to divorce and, you know, going from ring to ring. And as we'll see, the people that they're working for in this episode are also on this ring of marriage. Yeah. And the plot kind of goes in that particular ring-like fashion. It starts in a place and then it kind of comes back around to the place that it started.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we start off with the engagement party. Yeah. With Gretchen and Jason. Uh One thing I thought was kind of interesting is that I've been to San Diego Comic-Con quite a few times. Sure. And I could see in the background of their shots, that's the San Diego Convention Center. Oh, that's right. So correct. I am fairly certain the engagement party was being held at the Gaslamp Hilton in San Diego. Oh, nice. But rather than throw me out of the show, all it did was remind me of how well they use San Diego as a stand-in for Ocean Beach. Yeah. They get a lot of that natural lighting, natural scenery, and it feels like a place.
0: Yeah. It does feel like a place. Uh, Terriers has a really great sense of place is kind of a seedy beach town it was done afterwards the the movie Inherent Vice but they're always linked in my mind Inherent Vice and the kind of the beach cop idea Rockford Files is a big is a big thing I believe in Terriers somebody in the production team watched a lot of Rockford Files when they were (laughs) when they were younger and so it's an opportunity to try and hone in on a mini genre of beach detective or beach noir That's done very successfully through Terriers with to the biggest writing projects that have been done in noir. I mean, Chinatown is right up there in its structure with being an important work in noir, even though it was much after the noir period of the 40s and the 30s. Well, and and
1: Ted Griffin, when I talked to him at ATX Fest, mentioned that his big influences were probably like The Sting and Butch and Sundance. Yeah. And that's so much of the show is about Hank and Brett.
0: Uh, a buddy comedy, buddy part comedy, yeah, it's pretty much.
1: This this engagement party though hits about three sort of main things for me. One is that we're seeing Britt and Katie and how they react to a couple that's going through they're, Like you said, they're further along on the ring, yeah. But Britt is starting to sort of get a little you know nervous, those butterflies, thinking that he's going to ask Carrie Katie to marry him. Yeah, Katie, there's that moment where she's like nuzzling somebody else's baby. Yeah, and Britt comes over and is really sweet to her, and you get that sense that you know we know from the first episode that she wants a baby. Yeah, and that Brett's been kind of nervous about it, and we see that maybe he's coming around on the idea. Yeah, yeah. and we'll ironically see later in the episode that that him coming around is what sort of makes her nervous. Yeah, and pushes her to a to a bad place. But at the same time, this is also a furthering of the story that's going on between Jason, Gretchen, and Hank, in that Jason, when he meets Britt, is like, do I know you're somewhere? Yeah. And Brit immediately is like, he he knows. He knows it's me. He knows I grabbed his wallet. Right. He, knew, he knows it's all going on. And uh, the fun thing about Brit and Hank and Jason especially is that Jason should be set up as the bad guy. Yeah. He's got the, you know, he's he's the richer guy. Yeah. He's got Hank's ex-wife. Like, he should be the bad guy. And instead, he's a good guy. Yeah. he. We've seen him be the good guy. And we'll see him again be the good guy in this episode. But it highlights, again, what I think about is interesting about Hank, is that Hank is our lead and our protagonist. We always root for him, but he's very rarely the good guy. No, Like, his wedding present to them is to stop doing something he's doing. Yeah. That's his wedding present. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it, it tells you so much about Hank. And the third thing that I think, and this is both here and throughout the episode, we're only a couple episodes into having Steph, Karina Logue in the show, but she gets such a spotlight in this episode, too. Yeah. There were so many great moments with Steph. She talks about Hank's pity date, but we're not sleeping together. Yeah. She has this great line when Jason comes up to him and she, they're doing this sort of polite chit-chat and there's a little bit of tension, and she starts in on this Societal Norms Baffle Me speech.
2: Societal Norms Baffle Me. I mean, you feel this need to formally announce your engagement to the world, and yet I assume you already put your penis in her.
0: <laughs> Bars over there.
1: Steph's brand of straightforwardness is delightful. to me. Yeah, it is, it is delightful
0: to me as well. Uh, it's this kind of counterpoint to everybody not, saying what they mean in in society, and and she is kind of thrust in the middle of it, and she kind of solves the problem for Hank, because he hasn't been truthful on what his expectations are, and actually, Gretchen hasn't been truly forward about what her expectations are. Their marriage just kind of ends. It just kind of tails off, because there's too much disappointment, and I, I think Steph is a good pin to prick that that balloon yeah. of what what that contention between them.
1: Well she's always a supportive sister, but at the same time, one of her lines here is Congratulations on your marriage to not Hank. And we see her at the end playing Scrabble, and you think at first that maybe she's playing against herself, because she's a more than a little crazy. Yeah. And when it pans over to reveal that she's playing Jason, it's a nice it's a nice little reveal. And again a reminder that Steph is sort of friends with everybody. Yeah. So let's talk Jason and Gretchen, because this 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 episode is very much about them and, mm. and that story and how it relates to Hank. Jason has figured out about hanging the credit cards. We won't find out until the end of the episode. Yeah. But Jason figured out what was going on. He quickly figures out that he where he knows Britt from. And I, I like that when he goes to confront Hank, he doesn't get all macho about it. No. Yeah. He doesn't even... He's not mean about it. He just says, look, just stop, okay? And he smiles yeah. at him and tells him to stop. And then he says, look at Gretchen. and Look how happy she is. Like, that's part of the reason I invited you to yeah. the, the party. I want you to see. And he's not doing it to be cruel to Hank. Yeah. He's not saying, haha look how much happier she is with me than you. He's yeah. saying look, she's happy. You screwed that up once, and you don't want to do it again. And right. He knows him well enough to know that that's what he wants for Gretchen.
0: Yeah. Jason is one of those uh, uh, those characters that isn't really part of the noir canon very much at all. He's He's kind of a, a as you say, he's not territorially pissing Right, at Hank. Yeah, and that's that's a thing in in noir to have you know the males fight over sure. the one yeah. woman that has you know maybe doesn't have the the best intentions for either one of them. That's not what's happening here. This is a cumulation of what Gretchen has wanted that she was she didn't get from Hank, and a lot of her frustration is solved by Jason. He knows that he tells Hank yeah. that, and I think at base Hank at least understands that he probably won't act on it never really you know
1: but further there's a little bit more because then when gretchen comes to see hank and brings over leftovers and everything she says jason told me everything and hank Mm -hmm. thinks he's in for it jason told gretchen it was a nigerian credit card ring that got there there like he lied for hank yeah for no other reason than to spare him the the hassle yeah and gretchen's thanking him and talking about nice you can see the hank just feels like an absolute heel yeah like he is it is sunk into him that he lost gretchen Fair and square to this guy who is going to treat her right. Right. And I think that's got to eat him a little bit because he he wanted he wanted to find out the guy was a bad guy. It's why he invested, investigated his credit cards. Yeah, it's why he was looking in. He keeps talking about how she met him on the internet. He's and, looking for it. And we're cynical
0: bastards. I mean, we're sure. we're sitting there the entire time thinking. I I was sitting there yeah. the entire six episodes up to this, and pretty much three episodes after yeah. this episode, ring and ding ding, thinking that Jason, the other shoe, was going to drop. We're going to see. Yeah, we're going to see, and we're going to see a psycho yeah. so, that it, that is out there that's just the cynicism of
1: modern life yeah. that does that to us. Well, and like you <laughs> said, that's the noir trope. That, yeah. The noir trope would be that the guy is hiding a deep, dark secret. Yeah. We won't spoil what's coming up in future episodes, just in case people have not watched past sure. episode six yet. Yeah. But Jason's story is definitely not over, and where it goes is is interesting, and I don't want to say more than that. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's get on to the case, the, the central case of ring and ding ding the case for Maggie. There's a nice lead-up where they're talking about the wedding and how much it cost. Right. And that is both... Uh, sort of acknowledging that Jason has money, and also Britt realizing that he needs money
0: to and do that, this, and yes. that leads
1: them into a case where they're like, "Hey, whenever whenever they need money, it's a nice motivator for them." That, that's what happened in the first episode, mm-hmm. where they needed the money to buy the house. Suddenly, a case drops in their lap. Yeah, and so they'll take cases uh, whether they want to or not. But this one they would have taken anyway, I'm sure. Maggie is a good, you know, Maggie, their their lawyer, Maggie, played by Jamie Denbo. I've always liked her. Yeah and she tells them in no uncertain terms she's like i want these guys uh we're d- i'm just doing some basic law for them but i'd like to them to be bigger clients yeah well, we she wants bigger fishes there are plenty of bigger fishes yeah. out
0: there and uh she's Generally trying to shoot for an do- entirely different class than uh, Hank and Britt's small-time detective agency right. is trying to do.
1: Although, at the same time, she did not want to get too big because she got real nervous when she found out that Ben Zeitler knew who she was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we meet Elizabeth, Beth Comack, and Dale Comack, married couple. And Beth is played by Stacy Edwards, who's got a ton of credits. She was uh, Lisa Katera on Chicago Hope and she's great here yeah this is another example of of terrier's always does a great job with casting yeah whether it's the big parts the, the one episode parts or just the little parts we'll talk a little bit about that there's some great extras work in this yeah little it's small parts it's
0: honestly i mean I'm, i have no evidence for this but honestly uh knowing sean ryan's almost preternatural ability to pick out character actors yeah. from the shield i've got to say that he probably has a lot to do with finding these marvelous people to cast
1: uh, Terriers. Well, yeah. I guess that two of the people who are involved in the casting, they also may have done some of the casting for Breaking Bad, ah, which also had this kind of yes. – these, these. No, There are no small parts. Everyone is, is perfectly cast. Yeah. But Elizabeth has a lot to do. Stacey Edwards has a lot to do, and she's great here, not just mm. in the opening scene. Because the opening scene, she's just kind of the client, and she's got to look sick and a little sad. Yeah. But later on, there's this sort of impassioned rant from her that she just kills. Yeah. And then there's Dale Comack, who's played by Chris Bruno, who had a regular job on the Fosters for two years, a bunch, lot of credits. That poor guy is pretty much playing the douche husband here. Yeah. That's his role. He plays it well, but he doesn't have a lot of range to do it. He's got to be the guy who you kind of think, oh, this guy's a jerk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not a good place to be in to be the the John Edwards here, right? Right. which is basically <laughs> what he's he's playing. Yeah. Hank and Britt are pretty much at zero tolerance from him. About twenty twenty seconds after they discover his deceit,
1: yeah. You know? So, and did you notice there's a real and this goes back to the to the first episode as well. There's a real tendency in Terriers for the rich people to throw the poor people under the bus when there's problems. Yeah, when they're talking about who has who might have stolen this ring from them that she wants to give to her son. There's a theory that Flora, their their housekeeper's brother, might have stolen it. Uh, there's a lot of blaming the help from the Ocean Beach yeah. people. Yeah, there is. There
0: is. It's it's a sad fact of life, uh, but it's definitely a a perspective that goes through the entire show that poor people get the short end of the stick in Ocean Beach, and it's endemic of a plot that is based on gentrification. And yeah, that's the big thing down by the beach. You want to be near the beach, then you're gonna. Maybe be tossed out of your home in a few years when your property becomes not the sleepy seedy beach town, but right.
1: the place for the giant gables or what have you. Or a giant mo- giant hotel called the Montague. Yeah, exactly. At least I'll say this for Dale. He does not leave poor Flora's brother on the hook for very long. He comes up, catches up with the guys yeah. and tells them, look, I gave the ring away. Hank and Bird are always quick to pick up on this stuff. They quickly figure out, oh, you're having an affair. Mm-hmm. And he talks about uh, Paula... This uh, woman he broke it off with, that he wouldn't get divorced, his dying wife, gives us this story that's clearly not the whole truth. Right. Despite not being truthful, he is somewhat truthful, and then he closes with a thing where he says, honestly, I thought she'd be dead by now, which is the most cold-blooded shit. Yeah, it really is. From there, we get what I think is the meat of ring a ding Ding, or at least the Mm A-plot, which is them trying to run down this ring and it is a parade of fun extras and the guys doing what they get do best which is to take shortcuts and get caught up in things mm-hmm. so they call in they figure out which Dallas is Paula she is played by T Lopez mm-hmm. who had done uh, soap operas and had an episode of Sweet Life of Zack and Cody ah okay so yeah. and she's done a web series since then that i thought was real, was pretty funny that i don't know if it was ever on tv or if it's just on the web at this point yeah she's a li- she's a lively character i like her yeah we can. We don't get a sense for what the relationship was between her and Dale. We just know that things went bad. We don't know which one was telling the whole truth, but we do know that she didn't have the ring. She doesn't have the ring. And I liked the the entire scene with
0: Hank and her in the chair. It was a very yeah. very lively discussion. Although Hank completely flubs the entire uh, the entire heard, thing towards I was the end. Say of he it. blows it. Yeah, and it it gives rise to one of my uh, favorite comedic scenes in there, where Hank is afterwards at the gas station across the street, washing his his hair yes. with the thing from the gas station and then using the tire inflator to, to, blow, dry to blow dry his hair. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's, again, a very telling moment in how these guys work. Yeah. But, yeah, he gives it all away when he's, he's like, well, do you have it here?
2: How you say you find me? Uh, the recommendation of friend? Dale sent you, didn't he? You know what? You can tell that hijo de puta that he can eat shit. And I sold this crappy ring already, okay? Okay, How? but my... Get out of
1: here! So, at this point, we jump over to the B-plot, which is pretty important. It's definitely setting apart. So, that's Katie and her night of karaoke. Oh, yeah. Kind of
0: fits into my theory about this, this episode that everybody in this episode is on this kind of ring of life or ring of relationships, if you will, uh, where you have... Brit and Katie, they're beginning their relationship, and it's kind of at that one place. And then you've got Hank and Gretchen. Their relationship has kind of expired, but they could both go on to another ring of relationships where they have, you know, between a good beginning to maybe a divorce at the end of it. And then you have the plot with the... The clients, where their time is done in the relationship between them, yeah. one of them is going to die, and it's it's basically over. So it has this kind of revolving ring like structure where they end up back at the beginning again. Now Katie is going to stumble on this on her journey on this
1: ring pretty seriously, right? And during this episode, well, we meet two new two men in her life. We meet Professor Owens, played by Johnny Sneed, a lot of TV credits. People might know him as one of Leslie's political consultants on Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. He is playing the uh, the teacher who's giving the lecture. And then we meet Hunky Gavin. Hunky Gavin. Played by uh, Zach Silva. And I like the way they misdirect this because he's flirting with Katie. She's flirting back. Mm-hmm. There's a nice misdirect all through it that Katie and Gavin are going to hook up. Right. That's where that looks like it's going. Yeah. And Katie even, she calls to invite Britt to karaoke. Mm-hmm. And he tells her to go hang out with her friends Katie points out how young they are. Britt even tells her, "Flirt with your teacher and get your GPA up," which yeah. is so cruel, knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, it's a it's a very cruel moment. It is a foreshadowing par excellence, pretty much. You know, because yeah, we have no reason to think that that Katie and Britt are anything but a pretty solid foundation. Yeah,
0: they yeah they seem very they seem very frisky at the beginning of the episode. They get to the wedding of uh, Gretchen and Jason, and they seem to be entering into a period of deep seriousness for their relationship. They're going to probably get hitched. And then it's all supposed to be about Brit trying to get his courage up. And then this happens at the end of the episode. It throws things for a
1: one-sided loop. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think is interesting about all that is that Katie is drinking heavily. She's being very sexy, very flirty. Mm -hmm. She gets up and does the Living Newton-John song suddenly with Gavin who gets paired up with her. There's this really strong, vibe that she and gavin are gonna sleep together yeah and then they divert at the end and you think oh okay well he goes in for the kiss she says drunkenly she's like i can't ride you have a boyfriend which that was a great line (laughs) and she turns him down and the professor comes out and there's this implication that okay the professor probably just cooled down everything yeah we dodged a bullet and then she did dodge a bullet in fact she went with the professor yeah maybe Uh, even an emotional downgrade a complete fluke basically yeah i mean honestly if she'd gone with gavin that would have probably been a, flir- uh, a fling and that would have been it. Yeah. That yeah. it's not quite the same betrayal. It's it's going to be a problem for her, but it's different. Yeah. This was very much her sort of pushing the self-destruct button, whoever accidentally. Yeah. Because what she did is introduced a problem that's going to be insurmountable. Yeah. And when she wakes up asleep with, in bed with the professor, she sneaks back home and there's this heartbreaking scene where Britt is like, he's waiting up, he's sleeping there, there's candles and wine. She finds the ring that they've gotten out of their case. Yeah. But it's not, he's like, it's not what you think. You know, it's it's an heirloom that had, we had to track it down for a case. Mm-hmm. And she's freaked out, trying to keep it together. At which point, Britt dinks into his wallet and she reveals he actually had a ring. Yeah. He was going to propose to her. Yeah. And that just got screwed up. But let's go back to the Ring of Ding Ding case. Mm-hmm. Because we also see the guys doing the legwork. Which they do well on the show. They show the detective. They show the detective work. Yeah. You go from step to step in terriers. They don't
0: leave out spaces for you.
1: And they also show the mundanity that is detective work because what it is mostly is talking to weird people and trying to get them to give you a straight answer. Right. Right. So they go to this outdoor market. The market's a nice outdoor set, by the way. I think it's another set. Yeah.
0: It's really, really kind of a Spanish market and a really nice touch. Yeah.
1: And they meet a jewelry seller played by uh, Paris Owen, who reveals that she already sold the ring for $250 to a regular customer. They go meet the regular customer. This is one of my favorite parts in the show. It's a guy named Bobby Bromley. He's a character actor. He had a small part in The Bridge. And he's the guy with the eye ring and the nose rings. Yeah, and they're like, "Do you have a ring?" And he's like, "This one." He starts revealing. It's like the scar scene in Lethal Weapon Three. Yeah, where they just starts revealing like, "I got these in my ear." No, the one on my nipple. No, he even pulls down his pants. Yeah, thankfully, it's not the one in his junk. <laughs> but there's that whole, "Oh, what what happened to this ring?" He reveals that he hocked it with just this such a great line delivery, which says. I had to pay some bills, man. Yeah, which leads them to the third step of their journey. A the guy growing pot in his basement. This is William Cowart, another character actor. They find out that the guy—I don't know about you—as soon as I saw it was a pot dispensary, I—I mm-hmm. I thought back to the to the wife. Because cancer, you know, pot, that kind of thing I
0: did too. And this is a this is also a good place where current events fit very heavily into Terriers because they have a nice little switch out gag in here where Hank immediately tries to put pressure on this guy as yes. an illegal yes. weed seller and then Uh, it's revealed that no, he has license to the state and this is just ever so modern California. Yeah. This entire thing, you can see Hank's face fall as he's crestfallen that he's not going to be able to twist this guy into getting what he wants until he
1: comes up with a nice little little twist. And that's the terrier's thing is that there's always another extra little twist, which is that, yeah, sure. you have a legal dispensary, but Britt and Hank are quick. They always pick up on one another's tells and they always pick up on what's going on. So like, Yeah, maybe legal, but I guarantee you that guy who we just met—you didn't sell to him legally. Yes, exactly. So they still find the pressure. He gets a he gets a name, and the name, of course, is Beth. Yeah. So we're back at the hospital again. I always like seeing the people realize these guys—they're unlicensed, but Mm -hmm. they're good at their jobs. Yeah. Hank is a
0: great detective. Yeah, he is. He's very he's very dedicated to putting order after his life spiraled so heavily out in alcoholism and kind of went down the tubes. He does search for a certain amount of order, yeah, and I think the detective agency, as much as it's it is a way to pay bills because he doesn't have a job as a detective anymore on the police force. It is also a way to instill some sort of order or to get back some sort of order that he might have had,
1: yeah, one time they're a little puzzled. Mm-hmm. They're wondering why she hired them to find a ring that she knows where it is, yeah, and she explains that she was hoping she was wrong. And now she wants the name of the mistress. And they're both a little, a little sketchy about it. They don't know exactly what she wants it for. And there's this great speech that she gives about what exactly she wants it for. Because he gave it to her. Because she's his mistress.
2: I'd like that name. That wasn't the job. The job parameters have changed. This is a personal matter between you and your husband. I'm dying. I need that name to give to my attorney so I can file for divorce, so I can amend my will. Because obviously, I can't trust Dale to put his head before his dick. So if I don't separate my estate before I die, Matthew could lose everything. He doesn't come to majority for two more years. I will not be here to protect him. I need to do it now while I can. Please.
0: Paula Alvarez.
2: Thank you. I need one more thing. I need you to get the ring. I thought you had it. It's at our home. I, I don't trust it being there while I'm here. Okay. And there's one more thing my husband doesn't know. It's not a sapphire. It's a blue diamond. It's worth $300,000.
1: So the next time we see her husband is when they're talking to him. And this is a nice callback to the first episode as well. Mm-hmm. Hank's at the door selling a story while Britt is going doing the second story work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that little callback. I like that we even see Flora that was referred to earlier. We see her walking upstairs looking for something. And that's where you know, Britt almost gets caught because he's got the housekeepers there. Yeah. And another twist. The wig comes from Verve Salon where Paula works. Yep.
0: Yeah, there's a deepening of the betrayal in this. Uh we, we find out that Paula and Beth actually have a relationship that predates her scummy husband right. and
1: Paula. So And Hank also managed to extract a twenty five hundred dollar check from the, the husband. Yeah. <laughs> and in a case of perfect timing, the hospital calls and finds out that Beth is gone. Yeah.
2: That was the hospital. Beth's gone. Oh, I'm so sorry
1: indulges man
2: really she's not dead she's gone missing and apparently you were the last visitors that she had what the hell did you guys say to her where the hell is she
1: so we were heading into the heartbreaking finale of this episode mm-hmm. this is another thing we've talked about in numerous episodes of, of, of terriers when we're talking about this is that you'll be watching it you'll get to this point where it's like five minutes left yeah You're like okay well we must be going in for the wrap-up yeah and it's never the wrap up, it's like there's something else, some big bomb drops. Yeah. And so the scene with Paula and Beth is not a scene of her just yelling at the woman who stole her husband. Like there is some of that. Right. But then when the when the daughter comes out mm-hmm. and recognizes the husband as daddy. Yes, yes, yes. Oh man. That was as heartbreaking as any yeah. Hank and Gretchen scene has been in the show. Just like that yeah. sudden thing where she's just crushed. It's Also, a meditation about her
0: life. The stakes are so much higher. She's losing her life. She's lost this man to a massive betrayal. And there's not going to be another opportunity to skip back on the ring and do this over again. She's really got to think of
1: her son. But she didn't even know that there was a a daughter involved in this as well. Well, at the same time, Hank is offering comfort to her. Yeah. And when she's talking about, you know, he was supposed to love me forever, and I thought we were going to be together till death do us part. Hank is comforting her, but he's also thinking of himself and Gretchen. Yeah, that is so in the forefront of his mind, and so he is seeing her pain and, and as a reflection of his own pain. Right. That's the last we see of the ring story. Yeah. We don't actually know where it ended. Yeah, I don't I, know that it's important.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it is either. I mean, it 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 wraps up the kind of triad of the all three of these people on this relationship ring. So well that it's it's really the the ring turns into a MacGuffin, a yeah, one that's sure. very valuable for uh, Matthew's future, but the ring itself doesn't matter as much. And this is a, this is a trope that happens in noir a lot. Oh, sure, I mean, the MacGuffin, yeah, the, the MacGuffin, the Maltese Falcon, yeah, this this type of thing. It's something that the story revolves around and the characters fight over,
1: but uh, at base, it's not really valuable. It's on its, own. it's not the point. It's to yeah. get the, the story started. Yeah. Exactly. And then we have that finale. And again, this is what I'm talking about, that that last couple minutes, where the last couple minutes of Terriers are always Mm hard-hitting. It's with Katie and Hank, where Katie calls Hank down to the cafe, and she looks like hell. Yeah. She's carrying... Laura Allen is doing such a great work. She plays the hell out of this guilt. You can see she's on the verge of tears, Mm -hmm. and she's talking to Hank, and Hank gets that heartbroken look. And I don't know that anybody does sort of sad, heartbroken better than Donald Logue. No. You know, he's he's pretty, so good uh, at it here. Yeah, Donalogue
0: has a hangdog look that uh, would
1: basically hang the
0: stars. He's, he's pretty much uh, the best at this type of down and out.
1: And we get a sense, we talked about this in previous episodes as well, that Hank knows Katie maybe a little bit better than Britt in some ways. Yeah. And she's in this bad place, but she's in a bad place that he can absolutely recognize. There's this bit where she's trying to explain what happened.
2: I got drunk and I... Don't, please, you don't... You don't have to finish that sentence. Is it someone from school? My professor. I, I don't know how, how I'm supposed to go back there.
0: All right, listen. You were drunk. It wasn't you. Hmm? And you didn't know what you were doing. No,
2: I, I, I was drunk and it wasn't me. But I knew exactly what I was doing. And why? I don't know. I mean, I've been feeling the way he's looking at me lately, and I pretty much know what's coming next. That's what you want. That's exactly what I want. Then why, why, why won't you let yourself have it? What's wrong with me? Why, Hank? When everything's like so perfect? You gonna drive a big dynamite truck right into it? Yeah. Probably because somewhere deep down inside you, you. You just don't feel like you deserve it,
1: and yeah, just hank is is playing this like he's seen this side of things, he's right. been on this side of things, no doubt with Gretchen, yeah, and I think it's it's strange, but uh Hank has actually has the
0: ability to be more emotionally honest with Katie than Britt does, yeah, you know it, and I think it's more because their relationship is more of older brother or counselor than than the the kind of hot burning passion that is between two lovers he he has been in this place many times before and he's failed many times before right this is what we're talking about here it's not finding the perfect relationship the future Britt and katie uh making a life together this is about failure what happens when you don't meet up to expectations or there's a huge betrayal in there and hank knows this
1: from beginning to end That's what his relationship with Gretchen has been about. And just like the advice he was giving Beth earlier, he's giving advice to himself. Yeah. He can't give advice to himself, but that's what he's saying. He tells her, you know, you were drunk. It wasn't you. Trying to let her off the hook. And she's not, she won't be let off the hook. She tells him about the the marriage proposal. You know, she can feel the pressure of it. She's like, I don't know why, why did I do this? And Hank goes into the story about deep down inside, you don't feel you deserve it. Yeah. And he's not talking about her. No, he's talking about himself. He knows exactly where she's at. Yeah. And then he does the thing, which is sort of, out of character and yet at the same time, completely in character where he tells her not to tell Britt. Yeah. That she's got to keep this inside forever. Yeah. I think this is, I think this is kind of classic
0: Hank though. He is a fixer. Yeah. That's what he got into this thing to do. He knows how his younger partner works. Yeah. And, and Brit is a lot about passion and has a lot of illusions about where his life is going. And Hank honestly knows that this type of magnitude of failure Raid is not going to react to it well. He's going to go off on a bender like Hank would have gone off on a bender. He tells her, look, you don't say anything at all.
1: Yeah. And we'll find out in future episodes how that goes. Yeah. But that about wraps it up for this one. So, infidelities, a long walk for a lost ring, and heartbreak for two of our main characters. Yep. Ain't we got fun? Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tyane. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash paultayane. Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.